just want to talk to you. I don't want to do you no harm. Just want to know about your different lives on this air people farm. I heard some of you got your families living in cages, tall and cold. Some just stay there and dust away.
Listen to live streaming radio or download a podcast and you can listen on the go. Listen to live streaming radio or download a podcast and you can listen on the go. San Francisco Mutiny Radio.
feel her warmth. I feel good, feel safe. Then I never think of my family's voices, never hear my sisters say, bulldaggers, queers, funny, come see us, but don't bring your friends. It's okay with us, but don't tell mama, it'd break her heart. Never feel my father turn in his grave, never hear my mother cry, Lord, what kind of child is this? My lover's hair is blonde, and when it rubs across my face, it feels soft. Feels like a thousand fingers touch my skin and hold me, and I feel good. Then, I never think of the little boy who spat and called me nigger. Never think of the policeman who kicked my body and said crawl. Never think of black bodies hanging in trees or filled with bullet holes. Never hear my sisters say, white folks' hair stink, don't trust any of them. Never feel my father turn in his grave. Never hear my mother talk of her backache after scrubbing floors. Never hear her cry, Lord, what kind of child is this? My lover's eyes are blue, and when she looks at me, I float in a warm lake, feel my muscles go weak with want, feel good, feel safe. Then I never think of the blue eyes that have glared at me, move three stools away from me in a bar, never hear my sister's rage of syphilitic black men as guinea pigs, rage of sterilized children, watch them just stop in an intersection to scare the old white bitch, never feel my father turn in his grave, Never remember my mother teaching me the yes sirs and ma'ams to keep me alive. Never hear my mother cry, Lord, what kind of child is this? Sit back, relax, and listen to the A-Track. Dig it like an old soul rack. Sad 
about three train stops and waves A train ride away from heaven It was signified by politics Low-income housing, birth control and abortion The capitalistic hand around my throat Shooting up dope just to cope And it's dehumanizing society We both found God when he opened
got my own Gulati doll. Can you see the boy? He said to me, I must tell you his name. He said to me, a nice Gulati doll. And com comes complete, I don't know if you can see this, with pin. Oh, wow. I won't do that again. Are you ready? Tom Ickin. Yes. Incidentally, ghouls come not only from Portugal, but they come from Mongolia, <laughs> inner and outer. Do you like that old ghouls? I think that's a guy. Snappy bit. I also have a dandy little pill, pill box all my own. These are sick pills. If you're well, you take a pill, you get sick. Say you want. <laughs> it's written on me. What do we got here? Typhoid! Say you want typhoid. Uh, whoops. Oh, well, I'll have to take something out. Let me lay a little virus pneumonia on me. What is that? <laughs> I hope I have. Certainly not. Hmm. I'm awake. Goulart is awake. He remembers everything. Say that was a bad move, putting that acid off of your face, right? Not too bright. Remember. Always remember. Oh, we, had, we had a car and a little letter on It's very upsetting. We're from a mother. Where's my wood? Where's it go? Smooth work, think. You knit. Get the backwards. Think. Think you're gonna complain. She said she let her little boy send in for uh uh, whatever it was, she didn't know. And in return, he received two sheep and buttons. In the first place, dear, the kid was a smart, right? I just said send for one. He's one kid, he gets one button. He obviously asked for two buttons, right? He deserved. Now I ask you, friends. Is that a cheap tin button? <laughs> oh boy, it's a cheap. <laughs> Wait, look. Skinny you couldn't get, Dick. Yeah. And it says WJW TV. By the way, that's got to be a lot of money there. It's green and white, two colors. And it says Buona Dawn Day. Oh, I don't see anything terribly cheap about that. <laughs> huh? Of course it's cheap. What do you think? You get something expensive? Get cheap! That's all there is to that. She says, she hopes that covers the hole in my head. She's a disgusted mother. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do, mother. You are an honorary ghoul katir. Now, don't be disgusted. Be happy. I'll send you a very expensive cheap tin button. Okay, Stalin Farm Love. Hey, let's go back to the acid, you are not. <laughs> Who threw the acid in your face, dear? How about that, boy? Isn't that tough? I think that's nice. Isn't that pretty? Huh? It looked better on the girl. Okay.
devil Grinning at his gun Finger starts Shaking Boy, begin to run Thank you For letting me Be myself
Radio.fm. Remember to support us by clicking us some dough and coming down for the live comedy. Stay safe. Mmm.
Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman and Carl. Hi, Carl. Hi, Mike. Good to see you again. Good to Good do to... this again. Ready yes. to go. Another Sunday afternoon, 2 p.m. as we broadcast first on mutinyradio.fm here in San Francisco. Go ahead. Donate to their Patreon. Go ahead. Donate to their Venmo account. Donate at Venmo is, is at mutinyradio. Uh, you can go to mutinyradio.fm and you can click and find the Patreon link there. Uh, we are here every Sunday, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 5 p.m. East Coast Time. Oh, there goes my cat. Uh, and we are also a podcast with the acronym L-W-A-F-L-M-O-I-T, as we mentioned up front. And we're also on YouTube. You can subscribe to YouTube and just get it. Carte blank. Carte blank? Blanche carte blanche separately but with the with the video set up uh, yeah you don't have to sync up the our yeah. audio to your real youtube we did it for you check yeah. out w-a-f-l-m-o-i-t on youtube because l-w-a-f-l-m-o-i-t is let's watch a full-length movie on youtube so you're gonna listen to our podcast and watch a movie in real time for its entirety right now uh but unless you're watching on the pod if you're watching on youtube carl's already said the movie up Easy peasy. I handled uh, it. Yeah. We listen, if you're listening to the podcast and not watching the movie, you're not doing it properly. You're That's not right. getting the full experience. Nope. Absolutely. We are parasites and we must harvest off the carcass of uh, actual <laughs> entertainment to, <laughs> to 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 call attention to ourselves for two hours a week. <laughs> so we're gonna watch a full length movie on YouTube. We want you to go to YouTube, find the movie. And watch it with us. Carl, what is the movie this week? This week we are watching The Fantastic Four, 1994. The Fantastic uh, Four, 1994. That's what you put in the YouTube search engine. And the channel we like is Actors Filming. It's actors not, Filming. Yeah, it's not cameramen, cameramen acting. It's Actors Filming is the channel we like. You can tell it's a good movie right now because no director actually filmed this movie. <laughs> All right, so go ahead and type in Fantastic Four 1994. Look for the uh, 
version hosted by acting actors filming filming yeah not acting filmers i was gonna say this is the second time our show has done it this is the first time with carl and uh first time since there's more information available about this film so we're really excited to watch it again it was on youtube uh, you know, you start off a show called Let's Watch a Full-Length Movie on YouTube, you go straight to the heavy hitters. You go to the 1994 Fantastic <laughs> Four. I don't know. You look for the Chuck Berry video. You look for everything you could possibly look for. And uh, it was on YouTube, and then it got yonked, and now it's back on. It's been on for a while. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, so it's great. We're going to revisit this episode. And I should say, with every bad movie, the joy is experiencing it and talking about it. So if other people have talked about this movie, it's just, what can we say? It's a great, bad movie. It's on YouTube. That's the premise of our show. We like, you know, I read about this <clears throat> infamously and uh, now I got to see it. So we're going to go ahead and see it. So go to Fantastic Four 1994, find the version from hosted by actors filming, hit pause, move the meter to zero, zero, zero. And at the count of three, when you hear go, press go. Now, you're going to hear go from our special comedian, celebrity, comedian, countdown person who may not even be a comedian and may not even be hosted by Carl. Take it away, Carl. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Celebrity Countdown, this time with Chris Gore. Sure. Chris Gore. Welcome, Chris. You guys are very enthusiastic. I, I haven't had my morning coffee. So... <laughs> I just put well, a second pot. Today we're watching Fantastic Four, 1994, the Roger Corman mega blockbuster, right? And the reason we've got you on is in the service of Film Threat uh, magazine, you were on set for the entire filming, right? All 21, 25 days, was it? Uh, for most of the shooting, yes. It was around the holidays at the end of the year, but I was there, yeah. Now, that's unusual, really. Is that because it was going to be a cover story you spent so much time? Uh, well, it ended up being a cover story. So I was on the set for filming. And, and yeah, um, the, the reason that they needed to start shooting before the, before the end of the year was because contractually, if they hadn't started shooting a movie before the end of the year, they would, you know, they would have lost the rights to the Fantastic Four, this German company. Yeah, so they were, it was so quick to... This, yeah, this German company hired Roger Corman to just make a Fantastic Four movie that they had no intention of ever releasing. Unbeknownst to everyone working on the movie, yeah, uh, they thought they were making the Fantastic Four movie, and they were super excited. I was excited because the Fantastic Four is, I mean, it's my <laughs> gateway comic book. It's, between that and Batman, it's the, you know, two comic you know, uh, franchises that I love the most. So when I heard they were going to film, I, I said, I want to be there because I had just done a story on a movie called Carnosaur, which was Roger Corman's ripoff of Jurassic Park. So, um, so that would just sort of led me to being on the set the in, almost the entire time, the entire shoot. Which and I don't, we I, did uh, the Carnivore sure. on this podcast also, and we it was horrible, horrible film, terrible. Yeah, That's what I'm in it. I'm in it. It's horrible. Are you really? Yeah. Are you? Where, I'm where in are it. you? I am in the scene where these two characters are loading cages of right. I think chickens uh, onto a truck. Yes, towards and the I, beginning. And I, I, my line is I changed it. I said 
can, can you give me a hand with, the line was, can you give me a hand with this? And I said, can you give me a hand with this load? Just because I wanted <laughs> right. to say the word load. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it I did worked. it for every take and it's in the movie. <laughs> okay, I'm so, gonna have to watch it again. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> So the the uh, filming of uh, uh, Fantastic Four took place in some of the same settings that uh, Carnosaur took place, and I understand that this building was condemned with rats in it and a cat that would chase the rats. Do you have any story about the condemned building? Your experience uh, there? I don't. I never saw any rats, but it was pretty ugly, and I did notice because I was on the set for Carnosaur. We did a story about that. Then I was. You know, it's like, oh, they're just recycling the same sets for the Fantastic Four, which was weird. It's like, and they barely repainted it. It's just like, I will throw some stuff up there on the wall and this and whatever. You know, he didn't seem to care. What I do remember is, is that um, if I recall correctly, like Roger Corman's famously cheap. I mean, uh -huh. he's famously cheap. And I, I, I interviewed him once and I got him to pose with a penny. So <laughs> he's holding a penny up to his eye. And we had a photographer take a picture of him holding a penny just to kind of show how cheap he was. And I do recall that when I was working, I was hanging out on the set and whatnot, that someone was let go for buying name brand soda. Like you can't buy like Coke or Pepsi. You had to buy like whatever the low brand, like local grocery store brand of Coca-Cola was, like whatever, you know, generic brand snacks like don't get fancy snacks you know so i i thought that was really funny that's like that's, that's how how much he was pinching pennies now we saw the uh documentary doom to prepare our research for the film and in it you talk uh -huh. about how like at first you were very giddy to be on the film, I mean, you were a fan, you know but as time yeah. moved on you started to realize this was going to be a b movie yeah, I mean, I, it was sort of the sad realization, especially when I saw the costumes, right? It's like, here they're in their Fantastic Four costumes, and it's literally felt fours glued onto these spandex. It was literally just spandex where, you know, they're shooting with certain angles to not show how haphazardly those costumes were assembled. The other thing was <clears throat> we did a, a cover photo shoot for Film Threat <clears throat> with all of the four characters, right? The main four. And <clears throat> what I loved was their enthusiasm. The actors, Alex Hyde-White, who actually ended up being in the third Indiana Jones movie, who's an established actor, who now does voice acting. Alex does voice acting for, uh, he does he does a lot of voiceover for audiobooks. Great guy, great guy. And Alex Hyde-White, he was just so earnest about this part. He cared uh -huh. so much about it. And looking back on the movie, it's probably the most accurate incarnation, at least to Stanley and Jack Kirby, what they had intended to do with the Fantastic Four. Just in tone, felt like, oh, this is like the first hundred issues that Jack Kirby and Stan Lee did of the Fantastic Four, right? Yeah, so, so, So that was great aspect. And the, the earnestness of everyone involved, with the exception of, I think, Roger Corman, it was just, <laughs> concerned with like let's just get this done and do it cheap the thing that was really sad was we did a photo shoot so we had like all four characters right and we put them against the set and i hired this photographer for shooting and um this is a story that i told that didn't make it into the documentary by the way this is like a bonus feature here but the actress i believe her name is rebecca staub 
She yeah. played Sue Storm, Invisible Girl, and this... Let's just say that these spandex outfits left nothing to the imagination. <laughs> and there was serious camel toe that had to be touched up to put, you know, to be able to put this photo on the cover of Film Threat. I don't think she was wearing underwear. Okay, so, so post-production, you had to... We had to touch up those photos so as not to be uh, graphic. And, and um, you know, I remember, like, we're, we're shooting this, and I'm looking, I'm going, like, I don't know, is it, this could be a problem. We're going to have to put text over that. You know what I mean? <laughs> we're going to have to cover it up in some way. So, wow. yeah. Now, w uh, in the plot, Sue makes the outfits. Do you think that excuses their cheapness, right? They're homemade. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it is an excuse to excuse, to, you know, make, make them, you know, and that's actually right out of the comic book, by the way, mm -hmm. which I, which I thought was great. But yeah, I guess you can excuse the cheapness and yeah, she should not have been a seamstress. Yeah, Sue right. Storm <laughs> should be, you know, she should be, you know, a girlfriend who, you know, will just go away. She can just go away when she turns invisible. She can just disappear. <laughs> right? That was Kirby's attention, I'm sure. Perfect. I guess, I guess, I don't know. But I, I, you know, like, look, I was a super fan. I'm like, the fact that, you know, I was living in a time where there was even a Fantastic Four film being made. I mean, look, yeah. you have to think, this was, this was the 90s, right? Like, the we're now living in a time, we're now living in a time where we have the luxury of complaining about the latest Disney Plus series, when who knew that there'd ever be a Hawkeye show or a Boba Fett show, right? Like, it's like, now there's like so much geek stuff that it's like oh wow there's a lot of crappy geeks geek stuff now but back then it was few and far between it'd be like a couple movies a year maybe a tv show so i was ecstatic like oh my god and um yeah so so it was it was for me like it was like summer camp you know because my responsibility was you know hey i'm not making the movie right i don't right you're warning and i was just there as an observer to do a story about it and they compliment you in the Doom documentary, too. Now, I was a big fan of the comic book, uh, yeah, especially, yeah, at the 60s one. And and don't you think things should have been a little bigger, right? Broader shoulders, stockier, thighs, huger. What, you... what was the thing costume like in real life? Like, did it look cool? It looked um, Well, it was weird because the actor who played Ben Grimm was taller than the actor who was in the thing costume. Yeah, yeah. But the thing costume in real life actually looked pretty good, like... Like the um, Optic Nerve Studios was the studio that that did you know the practical effects on on the film, and they really put their heart and soul in it. I mean, yeah. soul into it. I mean, for them, I mean, I'm sure they didn't make any money. I mean, like I know they were paid, but at the end, I guarantee they didn't really make weren't weren't paid what what you know the time that was put into it. And I think that they looked at on it as like, well, this is going to be this is for us going to be stone. like a portfolio piece, right? Like, and they really, really just put a lot of effort in that costume. They tried to make it accurate to the Kirby comics. And I, I would say that it's more accurate than the, you know, other Fantastic Four film that came out later. And then the one that came out, you know, more recently uh, directed by Josh Trank. I mean, like those are just sort of weird interpretations. Theirs is the most accurate to the comic book. With and the, to the brown. Comic book is, Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the brow and everything, like they got that right. It, it it moved, you know, in certain places, and so you know, it's a lot of it is how you photograph it. But I actually <laughs> thought that was one of the things that worked out really well with it was that costume, the way that that character was portrayed. 
No, that Go guy ahead. was Carl Cafalio, and he was a huge yeah. stuntman. He went on to so much work and did so much work before it. But he reports that the suit was the hottest thing he's ever worn. Did you see him struggle with it? Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. He, he had problems with it, right? Like, it was, you know, I mean, you sign up to be a monster in a costume. That's yeah. what you're going to be, right? You should know what you're getting into, right? Yeah, you're the yeah. thing. Now, they report there was no rehearsal. They just started rolling. There was more, like, about blocking. Did you see – did you have an impression, like, uh, this is a little rinky-dink here? I mean, I think when you look at it on screen, I think it came out okay. I think some of the acting was strong. Yeah, like, if it was if it was a movie that was made for television, I think that it would, like, oh, this is pretty decent. You know, they, they tried to remain faithful to the comic and faithful to the characters as they – were you know portrayed in the comic book i'm fearful that this they keep talking about a new fantastic four movie i think i think based on sort of the direction that marvel's going i think it'll be pretty awful uh, mm. i really don't have a lot of faith in it but this is this was but if this were a movie to be released in theaters i think it would be kind of lackluster i mean you know johnny storm doesn't really even turn into fully the human torch until the very <laughs> end of the movie right one sort of last shot that was very early digital before digital effects were really a thing, right? I like, think it looked okay. It was fine for the time. There just wasn't enough of it. And and I think they knew that. You could tell from the script that it was kind of anemic. Like, they were writing around having to do special effects, right? So um, that was sort of a – that was a red flag right there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, also, um, I heard that Stan Lee was on the set. Did you meet him? What was his yes. attitude like? Was he – Yes, I, he, I mean Stan is. I mean, you know, if there's something going on, Stan Lee's gonna gonna be there and be a part of it. So yeah, he was on the set, but it was more just a glad hand, and yeah. I think that gave people confidence too. Yeah, because like it was you know, an endorsement. Yeah, it was definitely an endorsement, and I'm sure that Stan knew about the rights situation. That it was really about this German company holding on to the rights. Uh, you know, so so what can you say? But. But you know that was this is pre like Marvel being Marvel, right? This yeah. is Stan Lee just like trying to get something going. I think Blade was really the first breakout of a Marvel character that was put on screen that was successful. I mean, there were there were you know there were television attempts that were yeah. pretty decent. There like was the Captain Hulk show. America on a bike, right? On a motorcycle. Yeah, yeah right. all, the Hulk. Captain America movie. Don't remind me. But then there was also like. The television series, there was um, Spider-Man. You know, there was the Bill Bixby Hulk show yeah. with Frigo. Yeah. That was fun. It wasn't like you know, it wasn't the Hulk that we have now for Marvel. Right. But it was hey, it was it was a tragic, fun sort of you know, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde story, right? And then there was the Nicholas Hammond Spider-Man show, right, in the seventies, which Nicholas Hammond, by the way, has a cameo at the end of Spider-Man No Way Home. Oh, oh, he's hey. in it. Everyone talks about, oh, Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield. Hey, I noticed Nicholas Hammond was <laughs> in it. So Nicholas Hammond is in the in at the very end of Spider-Man: No Way Home. Uh, uh, you you see they're in they're in the diner, and you know Peter Parker goes to visit MJ and observes MJ talking to a patron at the donut shop, and that's Nicholas Hammond. Gotcha. No Nic kidding. Nicholas Hammond also played the director. Who directed um, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? 
Now, we, so, Quentin Tarantino put him in there and he plays the director who directs the Western and he's kind of trying to coach, you know, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. That's kind of so. neat. neat. So, so uh, there was a uh, two-part Spider-Man, uh, uh, you know, on the television show that they stuck together and, and released in Europe as a as a feature. Yeah, uh, we and we it. saw that on this show. That was a lot of fun, you know. Wow. Yeah, cheap. It was good. Now, was... I believe that Roger Corman had every intention to release this film, and it wasn't until he got the phone call from Avi... The Marvel guy, that was the first second that he said, okay, we're not releasing this, right? Do do you agree? Yeah, I think that I don't know that their intention was ever to release it. I think their intention was to shoot it, and and that was it. I mean, obviously, I got a bootleg copy of it years later, but I also did a thing where we, um, we took the cast of the Fantastic Four, like all four of them did a signing at the Film Threat booth in at San Diego Comic-Con, and it flooded the aisles. I think we sold like 2,000 issues of that comic. A lot of people had already have an, had an issue of it, and they signed every single one, That's and uh, the cast was great. I th- the year later that Comic-Con did a rule, like, we have to have an autograph area. We can't have people <laughs> clogging up the you aisles. You guys did that. Yeah, yeah. well, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, That's no, one. no it, Anyway, so that was that was like a delight to like have them all there, and th- what was weird was just how enthusiastic those those main actors were. You know, I saw that in that documentary that yeah. the enthusiasm of the crew, like they did everything. They promoted the hell out of that movie at every convention. They were the voice of that movie, and you know, a fan on their like own my, dime. Yeah, on their own dime, and like a fan like myself would get excited because there really is such a thing, and there's such enthusiasm to it. I mean, I was excited, you know, like I like I never thought in my wildest dreams that I would, you know, there'd be a Fantastic Four movie made. Like, what the hell? Like, that's crazy. I so, remember reading the comics, uh, you know, at 11 years old, 10 years old, thinking they should make these into movies. You know, why aren't they doing that? You know, well, they had the cartoon well, show. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, there was the animated Fantastic Four cartoon. There were two of them, one in the 60s, which used the Human Torch, and then Another one that came later, yeah. I think it was in the late 70s, right. where they had Herbie the Robot because they were afraid kids were going to light themselves on fire to be oh. a human torch, which I guarantee you Marvel is going to address that in some way. Like, they're trying to figure out how do we do the Fantastic Four and not, like, have kids light themselves Wait, on wow. fire, and then how do you make it practical? Like, okay, if he ignited himself on fire and was in the kitchen that I'm in right now, that would probably destroy and melt the kitchen. He could, you know what I mean? Like, yes. there's just sort of practical real world things. Okay, if you're gonna have these characters now exist in the real world, how do they, how does it work? Now, did Film Threat go on to do an article to cover the fact that Fantastic Four would not be released? Did you follow up? Well, <clears throat> we never did because we could we could never get any answers, right? Uh-huh. You know, we did that cover story, and I remember, um, uh, I, I remember Tony Timpone from Fangoria magazine called me out of the blue and said, "Ah, oh, you really scooped this on that one," because I'd been doing stories where because I was in Hollywood, I could just go to the sets of these movies, and we covered Carnosaur, and you know, we just we're getting access to like low budget indie movies, which is kind of film threats, bread and butter. I mean, we cover independent film, right? So, I mean, Roger Corman is an independent filmmaker. Yeah. 
And they but, went to trauma too uh, at first. Trauma said no, right? I mean, the documentary taught me that. Right, right. So, so uh, you know, but we didn't know. I mean, we just did the story, and I wanted to be very comprehensive. I grew up reading Cinefantastic magazine and Starlog and and uh, you know Fangoria, and, and I read all those magazines as a kid. I was I was a magazine junkie. At, a, at you know at the time at, in that era and i think at one point i had 50 magazine subscriptions this is before yeah. the internet yeah yeah this yeah before That's the internet right. and just so people who may not know magazines are like the internet but on really thin slices of wood and yeah. you can read them <laughs> That's a good way to well, say you, it. you know this podcast exists for, yeah we, we we're doing this podcast because i used to read psychotronic exactly. video all the time yeah and i love like that shock magazine. Video. yeah i love it and I would I say, oh, my that God, magazine. that I, I, and then just like there were so many great ones at the time. And I just wanted to be film threat sort of had its own niche, which was indie film. Right. That was our that was what we focused on. And sometimes that crossed over into genre stuff. So um, certainly a lot of you know low budget underground films were horror, sci fi, etc. So so, yeah, I, I you know, like I just think that there was never a final word. Right. Like they said you know, oh, it's on hold or it's this or whatever. And then, you know, it just sort of got forgotten. It, mm -hmm. it became like a lost film. Yeah. yeah. Now, Mike used to read these magazines, but he couldn't go see the film. He was young. He's not going down to the Ziegfeld Theater in Manhattan. So that's why right. we have this show today, because they're all on YouTube now. They're all on YouTube. Everything I read in Psychotronic, oh, wow. everything I read in my film books. And I had to take the really? film books. Yeah, well, because, you know, Fantastic Four, I read about it in Film Threat. I, I, you know, and that was it. So I just had wow. a base. So thanks to YouTube, the great yeah. equalizer, I can just finally watch it. And then. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Now, what was George Gaines doing on set? I mean, we're talking Punky Brewster. We're talking uh, Police Academy. Did they know they had a star here? Why didn't yeah, they he was the biggest them? name. Oh, uh, I don't know. that. I don't know. <laughs> were you there to see George Gaines? No, I'm not sure if I met met him on set, and I probably would not know. I mean, I wasn't, like, even at the time, like, and I don't, I tend to not watch mainstream television of any kind. Like, uh, you know, people tell me constantly about the Big Bang Theory yeah. and stuff, and, like, I hate, I, I, I think I've watched that show, and I, I'm not, not a fan. So when it comes to, like, mainstream anything, I'm pretty blissfully unaware. So <laughs> I wouldn't have even known who he was anyways, because I never seen an episode of punky brewster were you there the day that they shot the classroom scene which in in the beginning when he's sitting next to ben Grimm, um i don't think i was there okay okay because that was his big moment that was his know? big moment yeah yeah i just think they should have used him he was a big star he could have been the alfred the butler to them or something i don't know they should have squeezed it in yeah okay so chris now everyone at home is poised to watch this film at the exact same time as we do here in the studio. They're all going to press play together. So why don't you go ahead and give us that celebrity countdown? Wait, wait, really? How, where yeah. am I counting down from? You, three. Three. Okay, three, two, one, go. But it's got to be paced. And so we, we should, why don't we go from four, three, two, one? Because of Fantastic Four? Yeah. yeah. There you go. Okay. All right. So we're gonna watch. We're gonna watch the Fantastic Four the classic Roger Corman movie. And here we go. We're going to count down from four, three, two, one, play.
All right. Very excited. Thank you for that celebrity comedian countdown for New the Horizons. celebrity New Horizons. That, of course, is right. uh, we're about to watch Munchies, right? We'd have lost a few New Horizon videos, straight to video. Uh, this wasn't even straight to video. No, it wasn't Good released leg. at all. You see how this, they, whoever put this up here for us stuff, snuck in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in 1994, there was no such thing. If you don't know anything about this movie and you see that in the beginning, you're all right, ready to go, right? All right, yeah. Surprise. Hey, man, I watched, I watched 26 movies to get one storyline. I missed a Marvel <laughs> Cinematic Universe movie. You got to watch it. Well, this is some trippy special effects already. Uh, do you hear the music? Should I? Well, I guess so. I mean, the people who wrote the music spent $6,000 of their own money to hire an orchestra. And we learned that from the documentary about this film. We should mention the documentary is, is almost as fun as the movie. It's called um, Doomed. Doomed which is the true story of this film where all the actors you see here in the opening credits, uh, Rebecca Stab takes a stab at it. Uh, <laughs> a stab. <laughs> Michael Bailey Smith took a Smith at it. <laughs> he did. He, uh, oh, oh, he was Ian Trigger. Yeah, he was Trigger. Ian Trigger. So, um, yeah, it's okay. It's just a documentary about how this film didn't get released. You know, and we'll talk all about it. You know, and you've seen it, and so have I. I have. I I have not seen it recently. I forgot George Gaines is in it, but yeah. Now George Gaines is from Police Academy movies. At least that's how yeah. you know him and love him. Oh and, oh oh, uh, and uh, Pucky Brewster's father. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, and 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 the guy from Victor Victoria. Okay. Uh, yeah, Punky. Oh, do, do go on. Do go on. He was Henry Warnamount in Punky Brewster. He was command, Commandant Eric Lassard in Police Academy. And he retired from acting at the age of 86. It was 2003. Um, and he passed away. He was old when he passed away. Yeah, no, you know, he spoke many languages. He, he spoke Russian, seven languages. Mm -hmm. That's right. He, he was actually born in in a country that – I didn't write it down because I didn't think we would be focusing on this guy. So, he was born in a country in Eastern Europe that was part under the Soviet Union at the time. Why would we focus our, ourselves on Punky Brewster's father? He's like the only star in this movie. Yeah, he's the only one. That's right. Uh, there's the director. God bless. Oli. Oli. Oli was a music video director, and this was a big, big deal for him uh, because he was going to – oh, there he is, George Gaines. George Gaines up front. Get the star up front like Bruce Willis, and then the last three minutes he shows up. Yeah. No, except he's going away even from this, right? Oh, he's done after this. Bring me Tackleberry. <laughs> Punky, oh, Punky. Oh, Punky. All this scene is showing us is Reed Richards is really smart, and he's friends with Ben Grimm, who wouldn't be in the same class with him. He doesn't have his brains at all. So you're talking about Ben Grimm from the Fantastic Four, that big do doofus from Yancey Street or whatever, a Clancy Street? or Well, that was the gang that used to tease him. 
Oh, 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 yeah. Uh, he has a lot of troubles, that Ben Grimm. Yeah. He's, like, he's literally a monster. Oh, he was very grim, and he was literally a monster. Now, what we're learning now is Colossus is coming. Colossus is coming. Now, nothing goes faster than the speed of light except for Colossus, which is a comet-like energy source. It is radioactive, and every 10 years it passes Earth. Okay. Uh-huh. But um, it's going to be the closest that it's ever been to Earth tonight. So we Colossus is like a comet or something, like a yeah, meteor? Yeah, ball of energy. It's it nothing comes... to do with Galactus. Right. It has nothing to do with Galactus. All right. Colossus. And it is, it is not a comet. It's like energy, like a ball of energy. And it's all whammy-jammy radioactive, and it's zapping the insides and stuff, you know. And they, there's Victor Von Doom. Hello yeah. there. It's 4 o'clock, and I'm here. I made it on time this time. This is Joan Rivard at uh, Peace Jumps Radio on Mutiny Radio. And 